uh, Jacob Burke is a Pulitzer Prize winning political cartoonist, but uh, Mr. Burke is more than that. He is a serious artist. Perhaps he may find a, find a bone to pick with that phrase itself, or certainly cartooning is a serious form of art. Right now, the exhibitions of some of Mr. Burke's paintings are at 414 North State, uh, State Street, to be seen throughout the month of May, from 2.30 to 10, at the Art Workshop. Jake Burke, cartoonist, artist, do you, when you approach, when you meet a deadline on the Sun-Times, you have an assignment, a theme, and you come through with one of your very vivid and very evocative cartoons that say so much, is your approach to meeting that deadline different from your approach as an artist at home with some of your canvases? Actually, uh, no studs, but uh, in reality, there are differences because at home, uh, a painting or a drawing results from uh, lying on a couch and dreaming about things in general, or looking through some sketchbooks that I've pulled out of my pocket of things I had observed during the day in restaurants or on buses or in the hells. And uh, it's a more leisurely approach, though actually in when I get down to, to working on the painting or the drawing, I work with the same furious speed that I would at the office on a cartoon. In the office, a uh, cartoon is born out of terrific pressure. It's almost tantamount to a, a mother giving birth to a child, and that is hardly an exaggeration. The wear and tear is almost as furious. And the only difference I can see between working at home and working at the office is the uh, time limit. When you compress anything within a smaller uh, area, you get greater pressure. That's not Burke's laws of pressure, but I believe it's Boyle's law of pressures. <laughs> and uh, it applies to art, I unfortunately. Noticed <laughs> I noticed that your pockets continually bulge with different matter. Uh, paper napkins and on it is a drawing. Now, you just before you came up, you had a cup of coffee in there on one of the paper napkins is your impression of the waitress serving you. Yes, I was intrigued by the line that her figure made as she was bending over to write my check. And I know that uh, if I just observe it and admire the, uh, the curve of the, of the arm as it held down the check uh, pad, uh, it would evaporate in the, under the pressure of other more immediate things in the course of the day. So I just jot down an abstract line that her arm and her figure made at, the, at that moment, at that fleeting moment. And you see so many wonderful things in the course of the day if you're looking out for them that naturally uh, they accumulate and your pockets begin to bulge. I don't aspire to be any sartorial... Uh, uh, <laughs> idol. Not a Bo Brummel, sir. Not a Bo Brummel. You're an artist. Jake Burke, what about, you mentioned the abstract line, which leads us to another uh, piece of real estate here in discussion. Uh, 
you I know as Chew labels. You belong to no school. What about this matter of... Now, your painting might be described as realistic by some, and yet there's a lot of abstraction in your work. True. Uh, I have a distaste for dividing things. And once you start separating things, it's like the uh, medical student dissecting a body, and usually that body has to be dead before it can undergo that operation. And I believe most artists today and so-called art authorities make that grievous error of dissecting art. As a result, most of the art produced today is rather dead. And if it seems to be alive, it's due to largely to artificial respiration produced by critics blowing wind into it. Why do you feel that most of art today is dead? I mean, largely because of this separation into categories, into abstract, realistic, objective, subjective, non-objective. All those things really have nothing to do with art. There are school problems which a student would have to concentrate on in order to acquire a control over, over his uh, medium and uh, a knowledge of what it all is about. But for a mature artist, to make a living out of his lessons, I think, uh, is a bit pathetic. And it may seem presumptuous for me to say, but most artists today, including the, the big names, are, to a large extent, uh, amateur professionals. Uh, they. Uh, And to bear this out, uh, the modern artist has had more periods than all of history from the caveman down. You don't... Uh, more schools, you mean? No, more periods in his development. Mm -hmm. A uh, An art authority writing about an artist will speak of one period of this artist's work, another period, and these periods are so frequent, uh, they are almost lunar in their rapidity. Whereas you take a man like uh, Phidias, a Greek sculptor, there may have been an early period where of his work, where his work was a little more cautious, more finished, but then there's a broad mature period that lasts all his lifetime. Take Michelangelo. His periods are two, or three at the most. His youthful period when he was an impetuous young man of 18 and did a battle of the centaurs, a very precocious piece of carving. And then there was his uh, middle period, let us say, when he, between 
20 and 35, when he was uh, really uh, discovering himself and maturing, and his work was more cautious, more finished. But then from then on, until he died at the age of ni uh, 89, there's a broad flow of practically pure ore. He had molten down all his experiences and feelings into uh, command over his expression. He had matured as a man and the rest of his life was just uh, insane energetic labor. When he died, his work was as full of life and as broad and uh, unhesitating in aspect and qualities as when he was 35. And he had contempt for this niggling, uh, hesitating uh, preciousness, which uh, many lesser artists are guilty of in their work. Uh, for instance, he was criticized for not finishing all his sculptures. He'd carry a sculpture through to its uh, height of expression, and the rest was mere physical labor in, in uh, polishing it and uh, refining it without really adding to the, its expressive qualities. And when he was chided for it, he contemptuously shot back, any damn fool can polish a stone. And you find that true of all great artists. Shakespeare uh, violated grammar for the sake of expression. Well, I'm sure Shakespeare could have polished a sentence as nicely as a damn fool could have polished a stone. Your point about uh, Michelangelo, in contrast to some of the contemporary artists, if I follow you right, is that when the man died, he was fully revealed as a man as well as an, as an artist. That's a point I've heard you make before, that the whole man it has to be revealed in his work. It's true. There is, uh, that is what is meant by being a serious artist. When the, whole, uh, when the man puts his entire self, all his emotional uh, strength, and all his physical energies into the production of the work, no matter what sacrifice it, it uh, demands of him, Michelangelo, when working on the Sistine Chapel, didn't undress for six months. And he wrote a terrifically moving sonnet uh, about his labors on the scaffold up there painting uh, these scenes from the Bible. And when, they, when he finally fell from exhaustion and they pulled off his boots, the skin of his legs came with the boots. Now, certainly he didn't keep office hours. <laughs> There's something you said uh, on the subject of Michelangelo in an earlier time uh, before we leave the subject of the artist. I'm thinking about you, the cartoonist and artist, and I know you will not draw a line of demarcation here. You spoke of Michelangelo being cartoonist at times, too. Would you mind explaining yes. that more fully? Well, a cartoon actually originates the word cartoon from... Uh, the French or Italian word carton or carton. Everyone is familiar with the with a paper carton. It merely means paper. 
a drawing on paper. And during the Renaissance, they usually did a design for a fresco or a mural on paper and then traced it off on the plaster. And those were called cartoons, the paper drawings which were traced off on the plaster. Of course, later on, they became associated with newspaper pictures, usually with words written all over them. But that isn't the uh, distinction I make between a cartoon and the so-called fine art production. Uh, I uh, look upon Michelangelo as a great cartoonist because he was able to take a theme and express it uh, very powerfully without the use of words. His uh, scenes of the uh, Bible from Adam, the, uh, from the uh, very act of creation, of God creating the heavens and the earth and the, and the sun and the moon and through the flood and so on, and all the prophets were powerful uh, expressions of uh, what these biblical figures stood for, what they uh, were like in spirit. And to my mind, those are great cartoons. His uh, panel of God separating the heavens and the earth was achieved by the most sensationally simple <laughs> means. Uh, a figure tearing a, a curtain apart with a, a violent gesture of both arms. And the lines of that figure were not merely a photographic representation of a man pulling a, a pair of curtains apart so you could look through it, but uh, they had the uh, dynamic whirl of a nebula hurtling through space. And in the old Sun Times building, I had an actual uh, photograph that is a reproduction from a magazine of Mount Wilson Observatory of a nebula in action, in motion. And next to it, a reproduction of Michelangelo's painting of God separating the heavens and the earth. And I'd never cease marveling at the almost the identical lines contained in both. It was always uh, a moment of inspiration when I happened to glance at it uh, across my desk. It's then a cartoon approach in that something is said simply that is beyond the reality that we immediately Well, see. this cartoon approach that uh, phrase uh, of course, I know you mean it in all... Well, go ahead. Smack it down. ...with all good intentions, but uh, there is a, a little bit of uh, separating there in between the... Of course, it, it's, it's natural. The, the, the average person does have to separate things and put things in categories so that he can uh, store up all this information. I, fall, I just now fall into this trap of categorizing the thing that you are objecting to so Well, I don't object strenuously, but when you come down to a yeah. serious discussion of the various art forms, and you do 
indulge in separating the white from the yolk. Well, I think you're in error, and uh, if I could make you see the error of that approach, why, I'll try. I'm seeing it. Uh, any picture is a work of art, whether it's poor art or good art. That's, those are the only distinctions I make, whether it fails to express uh, what the artist intended it to do or succeeds. And I always yearn to succeed magnificently. I'm not satisfied with uh, half success. I want a home run every time I go up to bat. And uh, I don't think I could be uh, accused of being too ambitious. I think anybody that has a bat in his hands would like to hit a home run or bowl 300. And uh, if you hit, make a hit at the end of the day, why, you feel pretty good anyway. You want to capture then your subject as wholly as possibly, no matter what the technique is called, yes. which leads to something else you had said off the air. Your feeling about portrait painting would not, you, you, you got that paper napkin and you caught the waitress. And I got the whole feeling of the waitress, you caught a whole aspect of her body with your abstract approach to it, the lines, and you caught yeah. it. Now, what about portrait painting? Port those who paint the. Well, face. I started out as a portrait painter originally. I studied with a very well-known portrait painter, and of course, I was intrigued always as a child by drawing faces. And so I grew up with the idea I'd like to paint portraits. And I was told that portrait painters make out economically pretty well, and I have no financial problems. In fact, some of my teachers were delighted when I said I was going to specialize in portraits, because they would cease worrying about my financial problems. Uh, but when I got into painting portraits, I discovered that uh, nowadays everybody seems to have his own conception of himself, or every member of his family has another conception of himself, and it's almost impossible for an artist to do justice to the painting as a picture. Portrait is a painting, it's a picture. In the old days before photography, or whether it was that the people were sturdier emotionally, or for whatever reason, if a man had warts on his nose, the painter put warts on his nose. And the sitter would n never dream of asking him to remove the warts on his nose. Today, most of the portrait painting, I would say, falls into the embalmer's art category. The cheeks have to be a little rosier, and the skin a little fairer, no blemishes. All blemishes are removed until all the character is erased. That reminds me of uh, a famous English portrait painter. I believe it was... Reynolds, of all people, who, who had someone stand behind his shoulder and he started off with a painting of a very pretty girl or a very handsome man. 
without benefit of a model. And when the sitter would get up on the chair, on the platform, he'd start modifying his ideal conception and put in a little character. If the nose was slightly crooked, he'd timidly make the nose in this ideal portrait a little crooked. And his houseman or assistant would stand behind him and say, it's coming, it's coming, and then he would stop. And that would be a likeness. Of course, he was a very popular portrait painter. There's something you'd said though earlier about uh, portrait painters not really being able to capture the man. That is, you spoke of the head separated from the body as yes, being only this, a partial. Uh, dividing things again, an artist is a portrait painter or a landscape painter uh, or a figure painter or whatever painter. Uh, if a man is an artist and a painter, he's a painter. He should be able to paint anything that uh, moves his emotional machinery into action and starts his arm working on a canvas. Uh, if he concentrates on only one little aspect of the field of art, he is like the fly who can see only one little spot at a time. A portrait is a painting of a head. A head is connected to a body, and the position of that head is determined by the position of everything that's attached to it. So in order to be a portrait painter, you have to understand the figure as well. And it's ludicrous to just say, he is a portrait painter. Unfortunately, most portrait painters today are only face painters. <laughs> so and in order there is no body attached or even no head behind that face very often. So when Da Vinci did Mona Lisa, he knew very well the entire makeup of Mona Lisa. Of course. He, uh, he knew it quite intimately without intimately knowing the lady because uh, Leonardo uh, da Vinci, who was of a scientific bent of mind, there is a man who did not even limit art to just painting. He, uh, he saw the relationship of art to everything in life. He dissected dozens of bodies under penalty of the Inquisition in those days. Ironically, with the aid of monks in monasteries who conducted hospitals, and uh, in those days of non-refrigeration, it must have been a, quite an heroic thing to do for, to, to gather some infor information about the structure of the human body. And when Leonardo da Vinci looked upon Mona Lisa, he saw all the muscular structure and the bony structure behind the muscles. He he, uh, he knew uh, exactly what caused the uh, uh, the uh, attitude of her whole body, which probably was reflected in the expression on her face. So this leads to another one of your favorite subjects. You know, the Renaissance man. Here's the perfect example: of the Renaissance man, Leonardo. Uh, and I suppose the lack of any such prototype today. 
in the age of specialization. Now, wow. Yes, I deplore that situation uh, personally very much, and that is that uh, everyone, more or less, uh, is forced into some specialized field which consumes all his time, all his energy, and the result is uh, undernourished uh, culturally. Uh, and so in the graphic arts, this finds it's in the graphic say. arts, uh, in, in uh, I, I would say in every art, uh, the the music uh, man is only concerned with what goes on in the music world and in his craft. Uh, the writer uh, talks shop when he meets another writer, and this feels uh, out of his element when he meets anyone else that is not a writer. Uh, I'm the musician uh, is, uh, works in a very limited, restricted area. The dancer also in another restricted area. Almost everyone that engages in any art form, more or less, has become a specialized uh, creature. Well, back to these graphic arts I made, Jake, as a reflection of your work and your outlook. It's again, there's the face man or the leg man, if you will, today. Yes. And not finding the full man. A lot of leg men who make good money at doing <laughs> leg art. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking of the calendar. I'm right? almost sorry. I've never specialized <laughs> in that field. <laughs> so I can draw legs pretty well what about if I the, want this, to. This phrase you use, this, this uh, comment that is made of your work, you, you do stuff your painting is out of life rather than from life. I suppose this is a reflection of all you've been saying thus far. Well, what I... Go ahead. What I mean by that, Studs, is that the artist, after he leaves art school, sort of continues with the habits that he's formed in art school. And in art school, you put a model on the stand or have someone sit in a chair and it's called life drawing. You draw from life. Out of art school, they still do the same thing. They bring a model into the studio and draw f or paint from it, or put some apples on the table and use that as a motif for their abstractions, even if they don't paint apples directly. That I call painting from life. But if your compositions and the lines uh, occur from experience with life, then I would say that is the painting is produced out of life. Uh, coming back to that example, you mentioned of the waitress leaning over the, uh, the bill pad as she's writing the check. Well, that's an experience. You can't, if you take the same waitress and pose her in that position, it would be a stilted and dead. It would have no life. Still, they co would call that a study from life. You actually find the, the person on the job doing what he's doing in action is your subject. Yes. Uh, because the mind can't conceive the 
unlimited richness that is contained in everyday life. You just can't. You've got to see it with your own eyes. You've got to experience it. You've got to respond to it. You can't cold-bloodedly sit down and say, I'm going to draw a waitress writing out a check for a customer. It'll be any waitress, and as a result, it'll be no waitress in particular. It'll be no waitress at all. It'll, what be, it'll be a, a stilted, mechanical operation. This dynamic approach you talk about is reflected in your work at this showing of yours at 414 North State, if I may mention it again. There are many waitresses, as we look out. I'll ask you about the approach of this new form of viewing pictures. There's something new that you've instituted here. But there's your waitresses, whom some say are much to you as the ballet dancers were to Degas. But then you have people eating, too. You like the matter of people in action, living at that That's moment. Right. Well, I, I'm intrigued with any, anything uh, that has life in it, whether it's a cat, a man, a woman, a child, or a flower, or a plant, or a weed on an empty lot. Uh, the uh, Well, that old song, Ah, Sweet Mystery of Life, well, it's corny, but it's true. And so uh, you, your subjects are not a, not so much life pictures as life living. They're, do, they're, they're all doing, aren't yes, they? Yes, I all think doing. if life doesn't push your elbow, you <laughs> result in the dead work. And uh, it's the necessity of uh, expression that makes the picture. It's not just doing a, a picture to hang on a wall to, to make a, a room prettier. On that matter of hanging on the wall to make the room prettier, perhaps a word about this new technique in viewing that you've instituted at this gallery where you're showing now is taking place. Uh, we don't see pictures on the wall. You have them all in cubicles, and we look through little slits to see them. That's Would you mind right. telling us about that? Well, the reason I've devised that uh, technique of uh, showing pictures to the public is not uh, to be different or to because it and make it tough for the customer to see the painting. But uh, I've always felt that after many years of going to public exhibitions and seeing the way people look at paintings, that conditions for looking at paintings in public are quite different from those at home. At home you have the leisure and the quiet very often to contemplate a painting. An artist spends many years and, and many hours of torturous, life-giving effort to produce a work of art that, if it amounts to anything. And I think it's only fair for the viewer to give it a little serious consideration. And in under public conditions, there are so many distractions and so many paintings to choose from that it's almost impossible to ask the viewer to, to give a painting uh, serious consideration. Uh, I always remember uh, this episode of Turner, the great uh, marine painter, the British marine painter, uh, that he had at a public exhibition. Now here was a very famous man at that time, also very famous. He had already made his reputation. And he hung his painting of a, a gray-green uh, 
turbulent sea at the Royal Academy. And next to him, some bloke hung a painting of a fox hunt with bright red coats, which knocked his painting <laughs> out of the ring. And I am pretty sure that that painting of a fox hunt was one of those calendar pictures that we can still see today. And Turner was a very irascible man, and he was just chagrined to the point of uh, madness. And he stalked around the galleries, and every time he glanced at that red-coated fox hunt painting, he'd blow his top. And finally, on his third or fourth round of the galleries, he went up to this painter who was touching up his painting for opening day and dug his thumb into his bright vermilion with which he was touching up his red coats. He stuck his red paint-covered thumb right into his own gray-green turbulent seascape. And the foxhound painter almost jumped out of his skin in astonishment. And Turner stalked off without even glancing behind him. This painter was doing the red coats wondered whether Turner in, in his mad rage had spoiled his painting just out of cussedness. But when the Turner made the full circle of the galleries again, he came up and borrowed a fine pointed brush from this fox painter and turned that red blob of vermilion on his gray-green sea into a bouncing buoy on the waves, which to my mind sort of illustrates two parables in one, that the abstract blob of red paint which Turner's thumb had jabbed into his canvas uh, turned into a very concrete object, a buoy, without destroying the uh, optical function of that red blob of paint. A modern painter would have left that red blob as it was and mystified the public. They would have wondered what happened to that painting. And again, the second illustration that that bears out is the problems a painter has in exhibiting in public. And by isolating my paintings within these enclosures and allowing the spectator to see only one painting at a time without interfering with another, to my mind, solves the problem quite neatly. It, it, it would be the same as if Paderewski would play the Moonlight Sonata in competition with Louis Armstrong. And that is the problem that many uh, pictures have in competing with another in public. And so there's no such problem as at your exhibition. Not at where my you, exhibition. Where you no. have the each person, each viewer sees it for himself. Only one person at a time can and see it. And one painting at a time. And one painting at a time. So the element of concentration is the giving on the part of the viewer right. as well as on the part of the painter. The uh, viewer sees the painting the way the artist saw it in the studio. Perhaps one last question, uh, Jake Burke, since you've given us a picture of yourself too and the whole man approaching art, the artist as the man, your your influences. I, I'm just guessing that Daumier certainly must have been your cartoons. And well, he certainly was, uh, although Michelangelo was really my earliest influence, but Daumier 
in later life when I started out as a cartoonist was my uh, great uh, example of a great cartoonist, which I had hoped someday to become, uh, all modesty aside. And Goya, another one. Hogarth also. All these artists expressed their uh, feelings and their thoughts without the use of words, but by the gestures of the figures, the power of the black and the uh, white. In other words, they, they used the medium which was meant to be used in drawing the picture and not borrow from the writer. Uh, words are fine if they're used as words no more than the writer would say stick in little diagrams or little drawings between sentences to illustrate his words should to my mind the cartoonist uh, write words into his pictures of course the pressure of production makes it so that many times you have to lean upon a word as a crutch if you draw someone that is not generally recognized or much known in the news, you have to put a label on them and say that Joe Bloke. But uh, those are the only compromises that I uh, would deign to make. Although they e even those hurt me as an artist. I notice in your cartoons this this uh, scarcity, the economy of words, very few. That it's the actual work itself, the Pulitzer Prize winning work, I believe, might have just one word to it or two. Yes. Uh, I believe that the picture without words can say as much to a discerning, sensitive person as if you put all the words into it. You don't have to label the sky and the earth for a person to know that those uh, areas in the drawing represent uh, those various elements. And uh, you can say so much more with a gesture than you could by labeling something. If you show a figure expressing brutality or ignorance, the figure's got to be that. You just can't say uh, right on it, brutality or ignorance. One last uh, question, perhaps that might be the overall one. There's a phrase you used and this perhaps explains why you don't care for labels or schools, but doing what you do. Mystery of reality. It's a beautiful phrase. Well, I am always mystified by reality. And I don't believe anyone has ever uh, come up with any neat formula that uh, unlocks that mystery. I always uh, like to remember what Shakespeare said uh, in one of his plays, I just can't recall where, I'm not a great student of literature or books, where he said, uh, there are more things in heaven and on earth than are dreamed of in man's philosophy. Well, I think that holds true today uh, as much as uh, at any time in the history of mankind, even though we're breaking into outer space and I'm sure we'll be just as mystified by life on Mars as we are on Earth. And our problem, the one you're tackling your way, is inner space. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a very limited inner space of three columns. <laughs>
And that inner space. In which and a small live. canvas of probably not exceeding a yard in most cases. Right now, a, a great many of the works, not all of your work, I know your bigger works are at home. They couldn't uh, fit. Yes, physically it would be impossible to show them under the conditions but I want to show them. At 414 North State Street through May, from 2.30 till 10, are the works, some of the works of artist, cartoonist, but artist, Jacob Burke. Thank you, Studs. It was very pleasurable.